Welcome, everyone, to episode 72 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host, Matthew, and in today's episode, we're going to hear about the Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield, Ohio. It's one of the most haunted locations in Ohio, and it's been a while since I've covered a haunting. A few days ago, I made a post in the Facebook group about my YouTube channel. I'm trying to get to 500 subscribers, and once I hit that milestone, I'm going to release a YouTube-exclusive bonus episode. So make sure that you guys go and subscribe so you don't miss when that happens. As of this writing, I'm at just over 330 subs, and I'd love to hit 500 soon. Now let's just get right into the episode. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. The Ohio State Reformatory is known to be one of the most haunted prisons in the United States. There are countless stories from former inmates and prison guards that tell of some of the strange and scary things that have taken place there. There have been many horrible things that have happened within the prison walls that no doubt contribute to the hauntings. The Ohio State Reformatory was designed in 1886 by architect Levi T. Scott who took his inspiration from German castles. It was hoped that the surroundings would prove to be spiritually uplifting for the inmates. The first 150 inmates were moved in on, in September of 1896, although the prison was not completed until 1919. At that time, the facility had the largest self-supporting steel cell block in the entire world, with a total of 600 cells stacked six stories high. The initial plan for the prison was to be used for young males that were serving time for their first offense. It was hoped that building their spirituality and teaching them useful life skills, that they would then be reformed. But with a growing demand for prison space, it wasn't long before the more hardened prisoners were transferred there and cells built for one were now housing three men. The focus then moved from reform to just outright punishment. Some of these punishments were torture, with some including water hoses, a sweat box that was reserved for non-white inmates, 
an electro-torture that was called the Butterfly, and what some to believe to be the worst punishment, the Hole. The Hole was a small concrete cell that was bare and many reports of inmates being driven insane from the solitude. The punishments weren't the only horrors that awaited the inmates. They also suffered violence from other inmates and prison guards. The food was horrible and the sanitation was almost non-existent, with rats infesting almost every wing of the prison. If prisoners were not murdered by other inmates, they often took their own life or died of some infectious disease. In 1978, the Council for Human Dignity filed a lawsuit claiming that conditions in the prison were both brutal and inhumane. A federal court made the decision to close the prison by 1986, although this was extended to 1990 due to construction delays with the new Mansfield Correctional Institute that was built to house the inmates. In 1995, the Mansfield Reformatory Preservation Society was established with the goal of restoring the building to its former glory. There is now a museum set up within the prison and regular tours of the property are offered. It has also become a very popular location for movie producers, with one of the most notable movies filmed there was The Shawshank Redemption. As these tours became more regular, rumors started to circulate that the prison was haunted by former inmates who were still trapped in their cells for all eternity. There were also reports of dead prison guards returning to the prison to continue their patrol. The reports of strange activity were so frequent that MRPS now offers regular ghost tours and the prison has become a popular location for paranormal investigators from all over the world. Now we're going to hear about some some of the hauntings that have been reported there. The chair room, named after the sole piece of furniture inside the room, holds a dark spirit within its walls. The chair can be heard scraping around on the floor when no one is in the room, and a paranormal hunter received scratches from the ghost as he sat in the chair. Supposedly, the ghost dislikes the chair being moved by human hands. Moving it to the center of the room makes him mad, and he will push it back to the same creepy corner that it sat in for years. As the story goes, Helen Gladkey, wife of Warden Gladkey, haunts the administration wing of the building. She was killed in 1950 when a gun fell onto the floor and left her with a fatal bullet wound. Now, rose-scented perfume wafts from a bathroom that she once occupied. Cold spots are felt in the sealed hallways, and visitors' cameras cease to work until they leave the wing. Sometimes, the voices of Helen and her husband can reportedly be heard in the area. The basement of the Mansfield Reformatory is one of the creepiest places in the building. The spirit of a fatally beaten 14-year-old boy allegedly appears down there, alongside a prison guard with a malicious presence. The hole, as you can imagine, 
is synonymous with solitary confinement. Located in the basement of the prison, the hole was where the worst prisoners went, where they were tortured sometimes to death by prison guards. An infamous incident occurred where two prisoners were sent to the hole together and only one emerged. At one point, over 100 prisoners were crammed into this tiny space designed for 20. As a result, the hole is allegedly filled with creepy spirits who cause cold spots, nausea, and they make people feel as though an unseen person is breathing down their necks and generally cause extreme discomfort. The prison cemetery, located near the building, contains the bodies of at least 200 prisoners that were killed with the Mansfield Reformatory's walls. Some died of disease, others at the hands of the prison guards, their fellow prisoners, or even their own hands. The cemetery is reportedly hard to photograph, as most cameras stop working once visitors set foot on its grounds and small items like the metal grave markers move around on their own, probably under the power of unseen hands. The chapel, despite its designation as a holy place, is just as haunted as anywhere else on the Mansfield Reformatory grounds. Spirits supposedly lurk throughout the space, showing up as ghostly orbs in photographs. When inside the chapel, one hears phantom voices while eerie, unseen hands grab at you as you attempt to walk out of the main room. The east cell blocks were once listed in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the largest freestanding group of cells. Now they hold just as many ghosts. One of these spirits belonged to a man who set himself on fire in his cell. He apparently doused himself with kerosene and lit a match. By the time the guards got to him, it was too late, and his skin was already falling off in chunks. He haunts the cell where he died, sometimes showing himself to visitors. The stairs leading to the guard tower are haunted by unseen entities who push visitors, and these aren't any type of love taps either. Disembodied voices also permeate the area, but they pale in comparison to the entities strong enough to violently shove grown men up and down the steps. Add in the stairs' steep and rickety structure, there's nothing heavenly about this stairway. The prison's infirmary, a place once filled with sick and dying prisoners, is now filled by their ghosts. While in operation, the infirmary routinely failed to meet the needs of the alien inmate who died of neglect and starvation. In addition to its sad and sinister history, the infirmary also gives off high electromagnetic readings, according to paranormal experts, which people think leads to the ghostly orbs found in the photos. The road leading to the prison is said to be haunted by the ghost of an eccentric local woman named Phoebe Wise. While alive, Phoebe endured a great deal of hardship, surviving multiple robberies in her own home, 
even killing a stalker on her doorstep. Years upon years of terrible circumstances made Phoebe into a hermit, with the local children branding her a witch. According to folklore, she appears at the side of the road to people heading toward the reformatory, sometimes going so far as to try to hitch a ride until she disappears before their very eyes. The library is also said to be haunted, but not by a former inmate. Visiting psychics have suggested that the spirit here is actually a young woman by the name of Helen. Records indicate that this could be the ghost of a former prison nurse who was murdered by inmates many years ago. The administration wing is also apparently a hotspot and it is haunted by two very important figures in the history of Mansfield Prison. Arthur Gladke was named superintendent in 1935, and he got to work straight away on improving the miserable conditions inside the prison as best as he could, although there was nothing that could be done about the overcrowding. He lived in the administration wing with his wife Helen. In 1950, Helen was looking for something in a closet when she accidentally knocked a gun off the shelf. It went off and shot her in the chest. She battled for three days, but eventually succumbed to the injury after contracting pneumonia. Gladke continued at the prison, working to block out the heartache, but he eventually passed away in February of 1959 after suffering a massive heart attack in his office. The couple is both said to haunt the administration wing, although they are said to be very friendly spirits. I've always wanted to go and take one of the ghost tours that they offer at the prison. I live in Cincinnati, so I'm not too far from it. I may have to make a trip up there this fall and go on one. Have any of you ever gone on a tour there? I would love to hear about it and share any experience that you've had in a future episode. Now our next story comes from YourGhostStories.com and it's their experience at the Ohio State Reformatory. On May 24, 2012, I and several others had the opportunity to investigate one of the most reportedly haunted places in the world, the historic Ohio State Reformatory, more commonly known as Mansfield Reformatory. This building is a mixture of Queen Anne, Victorian Gothic, and Richardsonian Romanesque architecture, and was designed to be as at least imposing as possible, as it was never intended to be used as a prison for hardened criminals. The belief was, at the time, that many small-time crooks could be reformed and taught how to become productive members of society through programs like furniture making and other skills. Through the years, good intentions gave way to the necessity to find a place to hold said bad guys, and Mansfield became a maximum security prison. My company included four other posters from this site, and my niece Julie. Altogether, 
we numbered 13. We decided to give accounts of our own experiences, since we all will be submitting. Here is mine. The night began with a visit through the museum. Here we saw, among other things, a chair designed for electroshock treatments, old photos of the building in its heyday, photos of past inmates and wardens, a display of some of the handmade weapons confiscated, and in a large glass enclosure, a replica of old Sparky, the electric chair. There were no executions in Mansfield. Those were done at the prison in Lucasville, Ohio. Still, it gave me the creeps just looking at it. From there, we were taken on a tour of the building by our guide, Scott. Great guy, and I have to commend myself and all the others for not pointing out to him how much he resembled Jason from Ghost Hunters. As we were guided through the twisting maze of hallways and stairs, Scott proceeded to turn the lights off. It was only around 7.30 p.m., so we could see to make our way to the meeting and break room, and then we were free to roam the building at will until 5 a.m. If ever I should have taken the advice of miracles on the Miracles Journal, it was now, because events have become blurred. I'm not sure of chronology. I'll be recounting from my scribbled notes taken from listing to my recordings. It is a very large building, and in the dark, the first few times through are confusing until you get to know your way around, so please bear with me. Thankfully, JR has played enough video games like Resident Evil and Silent Hill to be a great point guard. However, I led our trio at first and a few times after. Our first, first experience was in the sub-basement shortly before entering solitary confinement, a place recently discovered through some excavation on the site. We all felt a major chill, but soon it became apparent that there was a draft. Still, the place had a bad feel, and JR was creeped out to the point of nearly leaving me behind as, I'm, as I made my way up the stairs. He'd asked if I'd seen a shadow, and as I turned to investigate where he had motioned, he said, I'm just not feeling it down here, and left. In my most valiant effort to maintain my ghost-hunting voice, I pleaded, don't leave me. It was at this point, unbeknownst to us, that we caught our first EVP. Apparently, someone was offended that we didn't want to spend any more time with them. Somehow, stumbling around in the dark with just our flashlights, we made our way to the deputy warden's quarters. The deputy warden's quarters were on the highest floor, the warden's just below. As we descended the stairs to the warden's quarters, once again, JR saw a shadow. We got out the recorder, but I didn't think that we were getting anything, so I said, I'm not getting anything, and you guessed it, EVP number two. Just a male whisper, like someone whispering to someone else. It's hard to make out exactly what was being said, but it's cool. This is shortly after our first encounter with the demon bats from hell that will undoubtedly play a major role in the other stories.
After pizza, a cold drink, a well-deserved cigarette, and a great discussion about demon bats, we were on our way again. We decided to head into the East Block, the tallest freestanding steel cell block in the world. We entered on the second tier, since we had come through the newly renovated, glass-enclosed, fully air-conditioned Central Guard Station that the proprietors also rent out as a banquet hall for events like wedding receptions. We wound our way to the fourth tier, and approximately halfway down the guard walk, we heard a scream. I happened to be on point, Julie in the middle and JR bringing up the rear. We had to walk single file as a walkway is very narrow and too close to the cells for comfort and brought back memories of the handmade shanks in the museum. JR looked to see where the noise had come from and discovered the door to the block had been shut. I quickly snapped off a photo, but the flash didn't reach as far as the door or JR's flashlight. We continued on around the block and when we reached the door that was shut, discovered that it was indeed still open. We played with it and realized that it was well greased and couldn't have made any kind of sound. Also, in our excitement, we mistook the bars for being the door, when actually the door was covered in steel mesh. But shortly into our trip on the next floor, we came upon a cell that had been closed. We still have no idea if this is what we heard, but it seemed odd that just one out of all those cells was closed. One note, we tried several doors and all were well greased and didn't squeak. We took several breaks during the night. At one point, several of us decided to go to the deputy warden's quarters again and sit quietly to do a proper EVP session. Unfortunately for me, I had switched recorders, and the one that I had at the time picks up and creates a lot of noise, so I can't share that particular one since I can't hear it. But I can tell of some of the experiences that we had. If you recall, at the bottom of the stairs is where JR had his second sighting of a shadow. It is in this room that our guide, Scott, had told us of his experience where he had been punched in the kidney by an unseen force. We now refer to it as the kidney punch room. The main room in the center of the apartment is quite large, with what appears to be an elevated stage at the far end. Here I, Julie, and JR sat. Miracle sat on the floor a little away from us. We sat in silence for a little while, and Miracles asked if anyone wanted to talk to us. JR heard something in another room and grabbed the EMF detector. The room that he was in was joined by a common door to another room, and in this doorway, the EMF detector spiked a couple of times. He walked away and went back, but it never spiked again. It was in the first room where several of us heard a slight scratching close to the floor and wall, but not in them, and near a window. We thought that it was possibly the demon bats playing around, so we sort of ignored it. Miracles went in with her recorder, and what she came out with has since changed our minds. You'll have to read her story to find out about it, though. As we sat in silence, 
we began to hear footsteps on the stairs just outside the door. These continued on and off for some time, and I hope Miracles got it on her recorder. We were joined by Steph and her friend, so at the time we assumed the footsteps were theirs, until we continued to hear them. Again, silence overcame us, and Julie had the distinct sensation of something tickling her side like a cat rubbing against her. JR continued to go from room to room with the EMF detector, and was picking up random spikes in several locations. But the one that really got our attention was on one side of a small table in the center of the room, near the floor. The detector was spiked to the max, so I went downstairs to see if there was a light fixture or something that could have been causing such interference. I had them tap on the floor where they were getting the highest readings, and there was nothing on my side that would cause it. There was a light on the ceiling at the other end of the room, but no visible cords. Upstairs, we ran the detector along the floor to see if there was a cord between the floor and the ceiling, but all we got was silence. But around that table, near the floor, it was wild. We ended our session and continued to the chapel, since our first attempt at getting there was foiled by the demon bats. Their strength in numbers, after all. I didn't, I actually didn't experience much in the chapel, and I still had the crappy recorder, so I'll leave this segment to the others. This is where my notes become confusing, even for me. I'm not exactly sure which cell block we were in but I think it was solitary confinement. We had picked up most of the others after another break and proceeded to walk through the block again. We weren't being overly quiet. In fact, we were quite negligent in using our ghost hunting voices. However, on our way out and while I was discussing with Steph about snapping a picture, I had picked up another EVP. To me, it sounds like the same guy from the first one. Later on, and close to the end of our hunt, our little trio once again took off on our own to the east cell block. We were feeling rather battle-worn, so we decided to just walk around the bottom and snap some pics and record. JR noticed that Julie's flashlight was becoming dim, so we stopped to change the batteries. We fumbled around in the bag JR had and couldn't find them. But then I remembered that I had the bag with the spares. That's when we heard a small commotion and shined the one working light towards it and paid for the mistake by being dive-bombed by a demon bat and soon after another and another. But on my recording, as the second and third bats made their approach, there was someone warning us of the attack. Throughout the night, I experienced some sense urine and body odor being the most common, and I mentioned it about five times in my recordings alone. These smells would come and go, were never in the same places, and were at times overwhelmingly strong. I did get to smell the perfume of the warden's wife, and so did Julie, me at the top of the stairs in the warden's quarters, and her at the bottom as we all made our way back to the break room after an exciting experience with the flashlight, courtesy of our guide in the surgical infirmary.
in the east cell block during the time when EVP number 3 was recorded. I was on point and kept getting the sensation of spider webs across my face and left arm, the one closest to the cells. You can hear me wiping them off, complaining, asking JR if he had experienced this, and stating that surely enough people had been through there recently that there couldn't be any spider webs so quickly. Thinking about it later, we were all in black shirts and had the sensation been spider webs, it would have been apparent that they would have shown on the black material. I experience these quite often. The coveted position in our trio was the one in the middle, since the one on point would be the first to see and feel things in front of us, and the one in the rear would constantly get the feeling that someone was following too close behind. All in all, this was one of the greatest experiences that I've ever had. It was wonderful to finally meet and put a real person to the screen names mentioned, and it may sound strange, but I consider the time spent with my son and niece as quality time. We had been planning this trip since August of last year, and had to wait till October to book our reservation, and started the countdown on January 1st. I walked away from Mansfield with the sense that yes, this place is haunted but probably residual in nature. That feeling changed during the next few days as I went over my recordings and listened to some that the others had. There are intelligent, interactive spirits roaming around that place. I think that we will go back someday. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode. I hope that everyone enjoyed the stories. If you did, please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating really helps others to find us. Don't forget to join us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. And thank you in advance for subscribing on YouTube and helping me to eventually reach my goal of 500 subscribers. If you do enjoy the show, please consider helping to support the show by joining on Patreon, with monthly bonus episodes being available from the $5 tier. Once again, thank you all for listening, and make sure to keep your doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved. <laughs>